Hello and welcome to the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour podcast. This is a podcast for employers who want to pay their employees properly. My name is Haygood Ty, and I am with the law firm of Fisher and Phillips, and I have the pleasure of serving as the co-chair of the Wage and Hour Practice Group for Fisher and Phillips. Today, I have the good fortune of being joined by my co-chair, Kathy Caminiti, who is a law partner in our New Jersey office, as well as Sarah Weaselfair, who is a very active practitioner with the Wage and Hour Practice Group. And today, we're going to be talking about hot spots in compensation and issues that employers should be thinking about as they approach their year-end review. So, Kathy and Sarah, welcome today. And let's start off this way. Kathy, as we talk to employers, what sort of things would you suggest they be thinking about as part of their year-end compensation planning? Thanks, Haygood. You know, companies, when they're looking at compensation planning, should really start at their compensation philosophy and goals. Are they paying for performance? What is the goal of their compensation system? And as they are approaching adjustments, looking at, is there a merit adjustment? Are they desiring to retain or attract new employees? Um, Some companies are using uh, salary pay bands where they'll establish a midpoint uh, maximum minimum for each position. And with those salary pay bands, they're divided up under separate positions, whether it's a business entity or a technical role, and use those uh, pay bands to provide some guidance or structure to their compensation. So overall, we're encouraging um, companies when they're looking at their year-end compensation to to take a pause and, and look at their philosophy and then build the structure around it, um, making sure that they are, you know, have a, a goal, their goals are met. Well, great. Well, Kathy, thank you. Sarah, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, and I think what goes hand in hand with the compensation planning and these pay bans is thinking about pay equity concerns. So under the federal law, the Equal Pay Act requires equal pay for equal work, and nearly every state has its own law that prohibits gender-based wage discrimination and also some states based on other categories like race and other things that are protected under those state laws. So when you're looking at this compensation planning, you should also keep in mind what are the pay equity requirements and are we making sure that for each job category, job position, where people are doing substantially similar work or however that's defined under the applicable laws, that people are getting paid similarly. And compensation bans and other considerations are helpful when ensuring that there's pay equity that's being met. Well, thank you. That's a great point. I think we all know that pay equity uh, has been very important in the last few years and is probably going to become an even greater focus of the United States Department of Labor as well as state law, state agencies as they look at that and audit companies. So other than compensation and salary, are there other checkups that employers should be thinking about at this time of year? Sarah, do you want to start off? Sure. So, you know, while you're looking at all of these things and changing compensation, it's a good time to look into other issues that you may be able to address at this year-end time or through changes in compensation. And one of them is 
classification or really misclassification of employees as being exempt under the Fair Labor Standards Act. So um, the Fair Labor Standards Act requires non-exempt employees to be paid not only minimum wage, but overtime of at least time and a half of the regular rate of pay for all hours that they work over 40 hours in a given week. Um, and, you know, especially as a result of the pandemic, there's been a lot of changes in what people's compensation is. There may have been salaries that have been reduced. There may be job duties that have changed, jobs that have been eliminated such that people are now wearing different hats and you know their primary duties may have changed. And with those changes in salary and with those changes in job duties, those individuals may no longer meet the requirements of an exemption from overtime. So while we're looking at these year-end changes in compensation, it's important to see whether um, employees are meeting the salary basis threshold for the um, exemptions, as well as if there's been changes to primary duties because there may be a need to either bump up somebody's salary somewhat to make sure that they are meeting that threshold or perhaps ch change things around in terms of their job duties and responsibilities to ensure they're meeting an exemption or perhaps start paying them overtime. Well, great. Well, Kathy, what about, sometimes I think that there are employers who decide they're going to classify individuals as independent contractors instead to try and avoid the issues Sarah's talking about. Is that something we should be looking at? Well, absolutely. I think companies now and employers really need to be focused on whether their independent contractors are properly classified, both um, from a federal level, you know, President Biden's um, nominated David Weil to be his uh, commissioner, who is very interested in independent contractor misclassifications, and he was during the Obama administration. And many states are really cracking down on independent contractor misclassification. Um, New York and New Jersey, where Sarah and I practice extensively, have very, very strict rules on uh, independent contractor misclassification. New, New Jersey, for example, just um, enacted another slate of independent contractor uh, legislation with extensive um, penalties for noncompliance. Um, the, there's a, about five or six different tests for independent contractors, which can be confusing for employers. Um, the federal government uses an economic realities test that really is six factors, but one of the primary issues is the degree of control uh, exercised or re retained by an employer. And then some states, California, New Jersey, and likely some others use an ABC test, which is much more stringent than that. Uh, so the employer has to be free from control, the work has to be outside the usual course of business, and the worker has to be independent in an independent trade occupation or profession. And all three of those tests need to be met in order for a worker to be properly classified as an independent contractor. So this is a big ticket item because if they're, um, they're somebody is misclassified, uh, the penalties and the risks are very, very high for that. So by way of example, you could not only have unpaid overtime, but unpaid uh, back taxes, fines and penalties, um, and other related uh, you know, penalties, uh, including license suspenditure and things like that. So it's an important issue for employers 
to um, pay attention to. Um, and, you know, when in doubt, the government will take the position that a worker is an employer. That is the stated party line. Right, that workers are presumed to be employees at all times. That's right. So, Kathy, you know, I, I feel like our clients that we talk to are always very busy and have a lot on their plate because everybody seems to be being asked to do more and more. But when we think about these issues, I think the consequences of not thinking through what you just talked about could be pretty significant. Can you kind of tell us a little more about how you think employers might be impacted if they don't take the time to study some of these important topics? Yes, absolutely. I think I started to uh, talk about that already. Hey, good. You know, the, the states are imposing very, very draconian penalties, including, you know, uh, financial penalties, as well as the risk of being debarred or having their stop orders, uh, stop work orders applied. Um, you know, issues like that where you've got governmental penalties that, that really threaten your business and your ability to, um, you know, continue to, uh, to employ and, and run your business and talk about some of the litigation penalties as well. Yes, Sarah, tell us. So, I mean, they really can add up quite exponentially. If you have somebody who is um, not properly paid, especially when it comes to overtime issues, um, there can be liability for that un those unpaid wages as well as liquidated damages. In certain states, the, the Wage Theft Prevention Acts have really put in such um, strong protective language for employees that they may be entitled to 200% liquidated damages on top of the unpaid wages. So a small, um, a small amount of unpaid wages or a small wage issue can really become a huge amount if there's litigation, especially if there's class or collective actions that come from this wage issue where you have um, similarly situated employees in the same position who are making similar claims. Um, you know, oftentimes under these types of lawsuits, attorney's fees are available. There can be statute of limitations ranging from two to six years. There can be penalties for knowing violations, criminal liability. There's really a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of things that could go wrong if you make some of these wage and hour mistakes, which is why planning now today is so important. So you can try to um, make sure that you're pay practices are legally compliant, that you're transparent with your employees about how and why they're being compensated in order to stave off this litigation, in order to potentially avoid these significant um, damages, penalties, and issues you may have with the Department of Labor. Well, great. Well, well Sarah, thank you. Kathy, any closing comments before we begin to wrap this up? Yeah, I guess there's two other issues that I think employers might want to look at. One is commission plans. Uh, best practice is to make sure you've got your position plan in writing and you uh, clearly spell out when a commission is earned. Some states, for example, New York require a written agreement, so it's important to know what your state law is on that. Uh, and also, um, you know, the pay equity, pay equity issues that Sarah alluded to earlier, uh, our firm has a pay equity practice group and many employers are finding year-end planning to be a really 
smart time to be looking at those pay equity issues and or to be including it in a budget for 2022. Well, great. Well, Kathy and Sarah, thank you both for providing all of this insight. Um, as I mentioned, Kathy is the co-chair of the Wage and Hour Practice Group, but she's also co-chair of our Pay Equity Practice Group. So if you've got follow-up questions on anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to Sarah or Kathy, um, and I know they would be glad to help you. Also, please keep in mind that on our website, we have a vast amount of resources on the Wage and Hour Practice Group's page, uh, which should be very useful to all of you on these topics and others. Please tune in for other podcasts put out by the Fisher and Phillips Wage and Hour Practice Group. Thank you. This podcast provides an overview of a specific developing situation. It is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal advice for any particular fact situation. Thank you.